Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me pray, and then we're going to go there. Our Father, we thank you as we bow before you this morning that you've loved us in Christ. Lord, you've adopted us into your family, and uh, Lord, that you have a pattern for us to live by that uh, blesses us. And Father, that pattern is given to us in the New Testament, and this is a part of it. And uh, Father, when we read it, 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 we realize that we have to tame our nature. We have to tame the old carnal nature that wants to glorify ourselves. And so I pray this morning as we read what Paul has written under uh, your Holy Spirit, that uh, we would look at ourselves and, and Father might respond uh, with repentance, with repentance when necessary, and uh, Lord, grace, and that you would teach us that we might walk in your uh, blessedness. And that's our, that's our goal, for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you realize most of the New Testament, you get past the Gospels, and you get past the book of Acts, which is the history of the church and, and the first century, and then you get past that, and the Gospels are simply about the instruction for Christian life. They're simply about, okay, here are doctrinal things you need to remember. And because you know these doctrinal things, here's how you live. Here's the choices you make. I mean, you have the foundation of the doctrinal things. And then out of that foundation, these are your life choices. And uh, we, are, we have been uh, bought with a price. We belong to Christ. We are in Christ. And, and we're his children, and now we're being sanctified. On the way to heaven, we're being sanctified. There, there's two phases. Sanctification has, has two applications. We, we were set apart in Christ. That's what sanctified means. You, you're a saint. You are set apart in Christ and salvation. Okay, by, by God's choice, you were set apart in Christ by salvation. And now you're being sanctified, says in Galatians, you're being sanctified, which means now we're being changed in our, in our being, our nature, in our humanity. We're being changed as we go through this life by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit. We're being changed to match what we are already. We're being changed into the image of Christ. And uh, change is not easy. And we get older, it becomes more difficult. Isn't that true? And so that's, what's the process, that's what most of the New Testament is about in the, in the epistles, is that there, there are problems in the church because we're human, we're sinners, and Paul and Peter, John, they address the problems in the church. They address uh, your, our behavior and how we relate to each other, how we relate to God, how we relate to ourselves. And so I just want to remind you of that. And that's what we find in Corinthians. That's what Paul is doing. Beginning in chapter uh, 8, and uh, 8 through 10, and we did 8 and 9 last week, and 8 through 10 is one discussion. And that discussion is, the theme was, do you eat meat offered to an idol in the temple? Because, again, Corinth, the pagan city, and that was common practice, and the people who lived there had been involved in it. Most of the people probably who had come to Christ had been involved in it. There are some Jews that hadn't been. And so do you continue to do that? And remember, if you weren't here last week, 
their social life would revolve around the temple. Uh, if they had a wedding or they had a celebration, uh, if they had a feast day, they would do like the, the, they'd do like the Jews did. The Jews would go to the temple. We'll see that in a minute if I quit giving the introduction. And the, the Jews would go to the temple and give their sacrifice, and the priest would kill it, bleed it, consecrate it, give it back to them, and they would eat it in the courtyard. And sometimes they'd take it home and eat it. But, they, but that was a celebration in the presence of the Lord. They're celebrating by having this feast and eating their sacrifice. Okay, the pagans did something along the same line. So you would have meat that they thought that might be demons in it. So the priest in a pagan temple would bless it, consecrate it, and now the people ate it freely. And they would eat it in, the, in their temple and with their families and with their friends and the celebration and, the, and so now, can you keep doing that? Are you going to be uh, separated from the social life of your family and your city and not be able to participate in those things anymore? So they asked Paul. And so Paul, in these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, he gives an answer. But it, like Paul, it's not just a yes or no. But Paul is saying there's a greater principle than your Christian liberty. They, they understood. We read that and, and studied that in chapter eight and nine, they understood that I'm in Christ, I have complete liberty. I, that meat's not going to taint me. The idol is nothing. I have that knowledge, and it's nothing. That meat's not tainted. I can eat it, and, and it's never going to affect my salvation one bit. It's not going to affect who I am in Christ, and so I can do freely as I want to. They understood that much of, of theology that Paul had taught them. And so, Paul, in chapter 8 and 9, he said to them, there's a greater principle, and the greater principle is that you have weak brethren who came out of that lifestyle, and that lifestyle damaged their lives, probably, and if you do that, out of your liberty, you do that, you're causing them to wonder if there's something really there, because that was their conditioning, that's what they'd been taught, and now they're wondering... How can I do that? How can I eat that meat that's been blessed by a pagan priest if I'm, if I'm to love Christ and walk with Christ? How can I do that? How can you do that? And you remember I made application to, in our society, it's not meat, but it'd be alcohol, it'd be media, it would be television, uh, whatever else. It would be homosexuality, uh, celebrations, uh, marriages, whatever, and so we struggle with that too. How do I still love my family who don't believe in Christ? How do I still participate with them? Where do I find that balance? So in 8 and 9, he teaches us, for us, even though I have liberty in Christ, and I, I told you I could do whatever I want to, but I owe you an obligation. I owe weaker, I'm not saying you're my weaker brother and sister, but I owe my grandchildren, let me just use that, who, who are believers in Christ, but I owe them uh, a testimony. I owe, other, I owe the church a testimony. I owe my community a testimony. I owe the neighborhood I live in a testimony. And so there's things, and that becomes a higher principle, Paul taught, than my liberty. And so my liberty is governed by the weaker brother's conscience. When you get to chapter 10, he continues this discussion, and he gives us illustrations. 
and he, and he gives us a warning. And so I think it's very, very important. Uh, I say that to you a lot, but it, it, it all, it's all very, very important. So he uses Israel first as an illustration about their abuse of this liberty. Read with me chapter 10, uh, verse 1 through 5. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers, and that is Israel, our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, that was the manna, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, God provided miraculously water for them on a couple occasions in their, in their wilderness journey. But here he's speaking about that spiritual rock that followed them. It wasn't that rock that brought forth the water, but it was, it was Christ watching over them. We know there was, the, there was the Shekinah glory cloud that when they came out of Egypt, that, first, that, that led them and it overshadowed them. It protected them from the... From the uh, Egyptians, and then at night there was the Shekinah glory of God in fire uh, that ministered to them. That was Christ following them. I hope you understand that. Verse 5. But with most of them, even though they experienced it, but most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. <clears throat> when they came out of Egypt, uh, they came out, they numbered the men, the fighting men, basically. And so they numbered the men between 20 years old and 50 years old, and there were 600,000. That's astounding, isn't it? And so that's why we're led to believe there might have been 2 to 3 million people who came out. They came out as a mixed multitude. Mixed multitude means there were some Gentiles who came with them, probably some Egyptians, probably some other nationalities who were slaves in Egypt and came out with them. They might have been a little bit of intermarriage, and they probably came as well. When they saw, going through the plagues, that uh, God blessed the Jewish people and, and punished the Egyptian people, and the Jewish people were clear from the plague, many of them probably believed in Christ, decided, or believed in God, and said, I want to be a part of, the, of this group. So here's what he's saying. They all came out, 600,000 men between the age of 20 and 50, and their families, and the elders, and the children. And in that wilderness warning, every single one of those males died, except Caleb and Joshua. And now, normally they wouldn't have in a 40-year period. And they wouldn't have been there 40 years anyway if they hadn't been rebellious. So here, here's his point. Paul is saying that every one of them, every single last one of them, even the Gentiles who came with them, they, they, they all, it's typology. They, they all were under the cloud. They all, went, they all had this protection of the cloud. I don't have time to explain. You, you remember the story. The, the, the cloud protected them from the Egyptian army. It got between them. Uh, God opened the sea and, and, and God protected them. They couldn't see them. They got through the sea, and then they, they were baptized into Moses in the sea. That's, a, that's symbolic, uh, the, the cloud's symbolic of salvation. That's God's protection. That's, they're God's people. He, he, he worked on their behalf. The sea is, is symbolic of baptism. Uh, 
Uh, they were baptized into Moses. It means they committed themselves to Moses' leadership, and Moses led them under the authority of God. And he, he wasn't their king, he wasn't their, uh, but he was their prophet, and they followed him. And, and so they all committed to him. They were following him, and God provided for them. Their, their provision was through Christ. The manna, the, the, the spiritual drink, they, they were not subject to diseases. Isn't that amazing? They all, they, they didn't have problems in their wilderness warning. They, they endured the heat, they endured the uh, thing. They, they were just miraculously provided for. Their, their clothing didn't wear out. I started to deal with that. You know, our clothing normally doesn't wear out. We just don't like it after a few months, you know. <laughs> Preaching my wife again now here, so <clears throat> uh, we don't wear our clothes. We just want to change the colors, and so we keep moving along. It's really interesting. They had all that privilege, all of them, every single one. They had all that privilege, and yet God wasn't pleased with them. Why? Because they were sinners, and they acted like it, and, and they paid the penalty physically because of it. And then in verse 6 to 10, he, he, he lists their sin. He catalogs their sin. And now remember, when we read this catalog of sins, and I, I speak to you about it, he's going to say to us, they are our examples. And this was written down for our understanding. Not this as we know what happened, but we know why it happened. And we know if we behave badly, in our liberty in Christ, we're going to pay a penalty. Now, we're not going to lose our salvation, but we're going to pay a penalty. So read verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Lust is the root of sin, but we do, but do and that we also, they also lusted, and we do not become idolaters as, some, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. For reading King James, it says murmuring. Some of them murmured. Don't let us murmur. And some of them murmured. It's complained and murmur are close to the same thing. So here's their sin. The, the, the root is lust. They lust after things they don't have. They lust for a place they're not at. They lust uh, for a different life and what they're experiencing. They've forgotten that God, <clears throat> excuse me. They've forgotten they were slaves. They've forgotten that they uh, were being punished by the Egyptians. They've forgotten they had no freedom. Now they're out and they have freedom, but they are being provided for, they have food to eat, they have water to drink, they have provision, and, and it's not enough. They're lusting after other things. You remember, they're lusting after the onions and the leeks. They're, they're lusting for what they don't have. They're lusting, and, and, and so it creates these things. They become idolatrous. You remember the story? Moses goes up in the mountain, he stays too long. They say to Aaron, their priest, uh, we don't have anyone who lead us. Moses has forsaken us. We need a God. And Aaron creates the golden calf, and they fall down and worship the golden calf. 
And the indication is it's very sensual, very sexual, and they are found to be uh, doing that when Moses comes back. And so there's idolatry. They, so quickly, they're turned away from the God who leads them. I mean, that day, they could see the Shekinah glory above them, and, and they know that was the presence of God, and yet they bow down and worship a, a golden calf. And, and because they're lusting, and they're, now they're God's people, they've been separated unto him, and yet and they, they just can't, they, they can't be satisfied with that. So they're idolatrous. And then sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, they come to the, next to the land of Moab, and you remember Balaam comes, and he's supposed to curse them, and he can't. And so what he does is he tells the king of Moab, cause them to intermarry, intermix with your women, and God will judge them. And God did, and they did. So they became sexually immoral with the prostitutes of Moab, if not the daughters of Moab, and God judged them for that. Now, if, 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 they, if the daughters of Moab weren't prostitutes, but they got involved with them, why? Because God gave marriage regulation, and he's given it in the New Testament again, is that you're not to be connected to an unbeliever. And they were pagan. They were, they were the enemies of Israel, and as pagan as they could be. And so, and then it says they tempted Christ. Now, how did they tempt Christ? Well, they were tempting, they were tempting the leadership of Moses. You remember a, a man named Korah and another he gathered a group, and he came to Moses and said, who made you king? Basically, you know, I was raised with four siblings. We were all a year apart. And we used to say that to each other. Well, who made you king? <laughs> so, so that's why it's still in my mind. And, and, and so they said to him that. And, and so you remember the story? Moses said, well, okay, go, go to your tents, gather your family, gather your friends, and we'll meet in the morning, and we'll see who was made king. And, and then he said, if God does a new thing and destroying you, you'll know that the people will know I am the leader. God made me the leader. And so you remember what happened? They come in the morning, they're gathered together. The earth opens up. It's a new thing. The earth opens up and swallows them and then closes up again, and it, it is a new thing. And so they tempted him. And then the last one, murmuring. They murmured from day one. I mean, they complained. They complained about water. They complained about nothing to eat. God gave them the manna, and, and they didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to slaughter their herds. Uh, you, you know, they're bringing their herds with it. That's their wealth. They, they didn't have to live on that. And, and God provided the manna, and they were not happy. They murmured. They murmured, we don't have flesh to eat. God sent them quail. It's really interesting when you read about that incident in the Psalms. He, it says that he, he, he satisfied their flesh uh, but they, not their not their desires, and or something like that. It's not a direct quote. That's not in my notes. It just came to my mind. So they murmured and complained. On one occasion, they were murmuring and complaining, and God sent fiery serpents among them. You remember that? And then they they got bitten and they were dying, and they went to Moses and said, "We have sinned." And uh, God told Moses, "Make the bronze serpent." Stands for judgment, bronzes judgment, put it on a pole. Anyone who looks will be healed. 
That's reference in the New Testament about Christ. Christ was put on a pole. Anyone who looks at him can be healed. Anyone who looks in faith to Christ's death, burial, resurrection can be healed. All the Old Testament, this is what Paul said. All the Old Testament is instruction for us. It's illustration for us. These were God's people, and, and we're God's people, but he dealt with them in justice, and he dealt with them in mercy, but he also dealt with them according to his holiness. And, and, and we have this liberty, but don't let us forget that in my liberty, I'm not going to lose my salvation. But if I demean God's holiness by becoming an idolater, sexually immoral, tempt Christ, murmur, and I could, I could camp on murmuring. I find myself murmuring. I'm so blessed. I have plenty to eat. I have a warm place to sleep, cool in the winter, cool in the summertime. Isn't that a blessing? I mean, and, and I, I have a car to drive. It has air conditioning in it. I'm just so blessed, you know, and I, I have a little bit of money in my pocket. I have liberty. I, I have freedom to speak what I want to speak. I, I just have all these blessings. You think I'd be happy, wouldn't you? You think I wouldn't murmur. You think I wouldn't when we go to lunch after church and, and there's, I got to be careful what I say. If, if I go to lunch after church and my food's not hot enough, that I wouldn't murmur. Here's somebody getting minimum wage and they're waiting on me. <laughs> and if they're not quick enough, we murmur. I'm going to say we because I, I don't do it. <laughs> I'm tempted, but I don't always do it. Do you understand? But we murmur in our heart. If we don't do it with our mouth, we murmur in our heart. That's a shame. You feel convicted yet? <laughs> and the Word does that to us. I mean, see, God wants us, God, God's saying to us, grow up, grow up. Look around you. Remember where you are. Remember who you are. Re- remember where you came from. And I'm not talking about our, our, our physical beginning. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our sin. We came out of sin. We, came, we were in bondage to sin. We were slaves to our carnal natures. And Christ has set us free. He's forgiven us, adopted us. We're his children. We have an eternal home we're going to. We're going to live a life. My wife and I were comparing our aches and pains this morning. And, you know, we think, okay, it's a reminder that we're going to have a heavenly body one day without those aches and pains. That's what they're for. They're to remind us that we're not home, that we, we're, we haven't received our reward yet, but we're going to one day. That's what they're for. Those trial, trials are given to us that we might not be satisfied in this world. We're, we're to, that's why we're to, Paul said, be grateful for them and be joyful in them. Here's the application. I've already been making it, but here's the application. Verse 11. Now all these things happen to them as examples, and they are written for our admonition upon upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except as common to man, mankind, But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. 
Now, remember the discussion. Remember overarching the discussion. It's your Christian liberty versus your Christian responsibility. And, and, and so he's making this application. The, 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 the Jewish people of old had this great Christian liberty, and yet they didn't respond with, with Christian responsibility. And God held them accountable. And, and he held them accountable physically for it. And, and they're examples to us. When we read the Old Testament and we see what happened to them and God judged them and God held them accountable, we need to say, okay, he's going to hold me accountable. I'm not going to lose my salvation, but he's going to hold me accountable as I go through this life. Idolatry is a rebuke to God. It is a rebuke to his person. And idolatry, so what's idolatry in our day? It's not, it's not physical idols. I don't have anything on my dashboard, or we don't have an altar in our home, and you don't either. And, but, but what idolatry is for us primarily is self. I worship myself. I worship my comfort. I worship my choices. I worship my uh, possession of liberty, my freedom to do as I please. I worship my, uh, um, you know, and, and we, can, we can make it things. We can worship what we own. Uh, we can trust it. I, now, we don't bow down before our checkbook. We don't do that. But we trust it. We trust what we have saved. We trust what we have invested. We, we, we trust that we're self-sufficient. We, see, that becomes idolatry if you put your trust in it. I've told you a lot of times I came from a very poor background, very dysfunctional, and I thought if I could just earn a living, I'd be the happiest person in the world. If I could just pay my bills and have a little bit of money in my pocket and not live like I grew up, then I would be completely satisfied. And you never get there with money. And no matter how much you have, it, it, you're never going to get there. You know why? Because it cannot give you that. It cannot give you that. Only God can give you that. So we have a choice. I want you to think about yourself. Is your greatest temptation to idolatry is self, your self-desires, your self-comfort, your self-privilege, what, what you want in life? And you know, when we, here, here's a good way to test yourself. Does everybody around you irritate you? Do, do they, I mean, do, do they irritate you? Do they, you know, because they don't always bow to your choices. They don't always bow to what you want and what you think life should be. And it doesn't matter whether I'm talking about your spouse or your family or I'm talking about the people at your work, you're still working, or the people in your neighborhood or the government. I mean, it's not going your way, and so you murmur. And if you're doing that, you're, you have made an idol of self. We, we forget this is a fallen world. The whole, the whole world is fallen. The government's fallen. I'm fallen. You're fallen. Society's fallen. The, the church is a group of fallen people. And, and by grace, we're trying to change. We're trying to make it better. We're trying to conform to Christ. But we're not going to get there 100% until we meet him face to face. And so we have to be patient. We have to be considerate. We have to minimize our Christian liberty and, and, and exalt other people. 
Jesus gave a summation of the law. Love your, love God, love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And he gave the second uh, part of the law as, and you love your neighbor as yourself, as yourself. I'm reading a little book by Sinclair Ferguson, Sinclair, and he, he just said, that's an impossible standard. We're never going to reach that. We're never going to reach that. I can never love you like I love myself. It's just, it's physically impossible for me to do that. Uh, I, I cannot do that. Christ did, but I'm not Christ. But I can try. I can, I can attempt that. I can try to achieve that. I can work at it. And, and that's what we're to do. And you're not alone. No temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. Whatever you're facing in life, whatever your circumstances, health, financial, relational, everybody goes, somebody else is going through that. Everybody goes through cycles. Everybody going, we all have problems. We're all dealing with trials. Uh, that, that is our life. God designed that to be our life. When, the, when sin entered the world, he put a curse upon the world so that we wouldn't live happily ever after here. We have a vision of, of heaven and living in his presence. And Isaiah wrote this. Uh, the Lord is our security. We're to honor him. Isaiah wrote this. The Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of your times. Abundance of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Now, he gives to us his treasure. And what is that treasure? It is the fear of the Lord. When I have a fear of the Lord. Now, fear, we, we don't misinterpret. The wording in, in means that I have this high respect for God, and for his word, and for his purpose, and for his will for my life. That I exalt him and above all that I desire, I exalt him in my life. I want to please him. He is above my liberty. His will is above my liberty. And, I, and that's the fear of the Lord. And when I have that fear of the Lord, I have, he's my stability. He is my security. He is everything to me. And that gives us a practical thing. Verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, for I speak as to wise men, Judge for yourself what I say. Flee idolatry. Flee idolatry. Okay, now remember, the overarching discussion is the meat at the temples, in the pagan temples. And Paul is saying you have this liberty to eat. It's just meat. He's already said that. And he said that God's not concerned whether you eat or don't eat. God, but it's just meat. And, and it doesn't make you better or worse. But, but then he said... But you don't want to, if you offend your brother, it's a sin. And now he's saying, if you exalt your liberty, that's what these words mean. You exalt your liberty over your brother, your weaker brother's conscience, you're committing idolatry of self. And he's saying, flee idolatry. If the idol temples are based upon idolatry, and they are, he's saying, I wouldn't touch it. 
I mean, he said to us, we read last week, if meat makes my brother offend, I'll eat no meat as long as I live. I'll just, I just won't do it, period. I have a right to, I have liberty to, but I just won't do it. So flee idolatry. Self-glorification is idolatry. A couple weeks ago, we watched the old movie Shenandoah. You remember that movie, Shenandoah? Civil War movie, Jimmy Stewart uh, is a landowner, and he's not, he doesn't want to get involved in the Civil War. And he has five children, four of them sons, and he has a son-in-law who's married his daughter. And every time they sit down to a meal, here is his prayer, almost verbatim, here is his prayer. Jimmy Stewart would say, Lord, <laughs> we have come to this land, we cleared it, we planted it, we, we plowed it, we planted it, we harvested it, and now we're going to partake of it. And then they ate. And, and you know what he's saying? He's saying, Lord, you may be there, but we did it. I mean, we did it. You know what part he forgot? God makes it grow. Nobody can make it grow. You can do all those other things, but you can't make that seed germinate, and you can't make it come up. You can't make it produce fruit. Only God does that. I thought it was real interesting. We laughed every time he prayed that. They had it two or three times in the movie. And you know, and you go through the movie, and they don't really emphasize this, but Jimmy Stewart was pretty humble at the end of it. And he going through the Civil War after all. Paul gives us now three illustrations. The church, Israel, and the Gentiles. So real quickly now, he gives us three illustrations. Okay, so now he's, he's made his principle, we're to flee idolatry, and, and then he's going he's to make this principle of now eating meat in the temple, whatever, if you're going to be involved in that. And then he, then he said this, beginning in verse 16. The cup of blessing, now speaking to the, about the church, there's his illustration of the church, the saved people of God, in the, in the new age, in the, in the Christian age. The church of blessing, which we bless, he's talking about us and you, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread, for, for we... Though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. So he's saying, when we gather and we partake of the, of the bread and the, and, and the wine, the, we're doing the blood of Christ, okay? That's the blood of Christ. The communion, and, and we're saying when we do that here, or other churches do it, we're saying we are one in Christ. We, we are... We're together in Christ. We're all redeemed by the blood of Christ. Uh, we're redeemed by the broken body of Christ. We, we're here in Christ. I, I think there's a myst, mystical aspect to that. It's just, uh, uh, but, I mean, it's practical, but it's mystical at the same time. You know, because God just blesses that. It's identification. And let me, this is not here. We're not here yet, but we'll get there in a, in a few weeks. But maybe next week, but next week in chapter 11, he, he actually outlines communion. And it gives a little more outline how the, the Lord revealed communion to him, the process of communion. And he gives a warning and he says, if you do that unworthily, you're under judgment. 
And he said, many in your congregation, in your have already died because they did that. Now, unworthy doesn't mean exactly how I open that little plastic cup or, you know, whatever. That's, that is a pain, isn't it? Uh, you know, how, unworthily is not that. It's not, but it means that if I do that in the service and I'm harboring sin, and I'm, then, then if I do that and I'm, I'm partaking of the symbols that Christ died for me, shed his blood, broke his body, and, and I'm harboring sin, I'm, under jud- I'm judging myself a sinner, and I am under God's judgment. He's going to put his hand out against me. I'm mocking him. I'm mocking him. And Paul said, some of you, some of you have already died. Some of you have already died because you did that. Now, that's next week. That's just a little preview. But, but here he's saying, okay, here's the illustration. When we do that, we're together. We're, we're bonded together, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we do that. Okay, that's the church. Now he gives Israel, verse 18. Israel, observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. When Israel went and they offered a calf or a, a, or a sheep and the priests killed it, bled it, scanned it, offered it, took part what they wanted, gave the rest back to the family. They sat there and ate it with their, with their family in celebration. They're a partaker of the altar. Israel was a partaker of the altar. Okay, so now they're together. They're, 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 they're partaking of the altar in the presence of God, and, and, and they are acknowledging their trust and dependence upon God. And now he gives the Gentiles. Verse 19, what am I saying then, that an idol is anything, or what is offered to idols is anything, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So, you know, what he's saying is that when those Gentiles go to the temple and that priest blesses that meat and they eat of it in the temple and he's saying to them that since there are no idol, what they're doing is demonic because it, is, it has nothing to do with God. It is a rebuke to God. See, that's Satan's influence came out of Babylon, you know, and, and, and so it's Satan's influence. It is demonic. And he's saying, you can't be a Christian and you can't participate in your church in eating the bread and the wine and saying, I believe in the broken body of Christ for my salvation. I'm identifying with him. And then you go identify with demons. You cannot do that. He said, you cannot do that. Okay. You remember, now, he said... If you buy that meat at the meat market and you take it home and you eat it, fine. But if you go to somebody's house and you're setting it meat with them and they set the meat before you and they say, this is good meat. It was offered to the idol and, you know, it's clean, good meat. You can't do it. For conscience sake, you can't do it. But now he's saying, you're not to go to that temple. You're, you're, not, to partic- you're not to participate. You're not going to lose your salvation but I'm going to hold you accountable because you can't sit at my table and their table. I'm God. 
They're demons. I'm God. They're demons. Now, let me make application to us. Sometimes we're watching the media or we're looking at media and we're partaking of what the demonic has organized. And our kids are and our grandkids are and we need to be careful. We need to be very careful that I don't, I don't give myself to that and call it entertainment. They have, a, they have a promotion. Everything is a promotion. You know, they don't just make movies for entertainment anymore. They make movies to prove a point. And most of the time today, it's homosexuality. And most of the time today, it's anti-God. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're purposeful behind it. You know why? Because it's, there's, there's demonic behind it. I'm not saying I don't go to movies. We go for a couple of years. You know, we go to a movie. But, you know, I, I'm not saying I don't watch television. But I'm saying we need to be very careful that we're not partaking of the Lord's table and partaking of the table of demons. You have to make that decision for yourself. I can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. And now he finished, I'm going to finish the chapter really quickly. Okay, he gives us some principles. Now, that's his argument. Overarching, whether you eat meat, your liberty, how do you live? And the meat's an illustration of your Christian liberty. So how do you live your life? Here's his principles. Verse 23, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Edify means build me up. Not all things are going to build me up. Not all things are going to build my family up. Not all things are going to build you up. And then verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That's the summation of the law when Jesus gives it. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. Okay, and I I mentioned this as last week, but it's this week. If any of of those who do not, any any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go, eat with whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. You know, and if you go to an unbeliever's house and eat dinner, you don't have to pray. Just eat it, okay? Just eat it. Don't embarrass them. Just eat it. I'm going to say that again in just a moment. Um, but that's what he's saying. Just, just eat it. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. You're not going to, you're not going to, if, they, if they make an issue of it, then you can't do it. Then you very politely, respectfully say, I can't do that. Then verse 29, uh, conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? For if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? And now, God's glory over everything is what he's going to end with. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Okay, here's my application to that. In the church, in Christianity, there are first principles. And first principles are 
basically the fundamentals of faith. The deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, salvation by grace through faith. See, and those, the, the authority, uh, inspiration, and fallibility uh, of the scripture. See, those things are fundamental. And then there are a lot of secondary issues. And here's what I'm saying to you in my opinion, okay? Here's what I think Paul is saying to us. You go to an unbeliever's house, and, 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 and they set meat before you eat it. It's okay. And, and, he, he, goes, and he goes on in verse 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Live yourself to the glory of God, but don't give off it. And, and now, here, here's what I'm saying to you. Don't create havoc in the church over secondary issues. First principles, yes. First issues, yes. The ones I mentioned, the deity of Christ, salvation by grace, the inspiration of Scripture, yes. If that's not there, if that's not being taught, create havoc or go find another church that does teach that. But what, what I'm saying, secondary issues in the church, what are they? I mention them to you from time to time. Music, dress, schedules, personalities. Paul started this with personality. You're Paul, I'm Paulus, I'm Cephas, I'm a Christ, I'm better than you. You know, I, I, we have preferences of music, we have preferences of dress. How, how I do it is before the Lord, how you do it is before the Lord. And, and what he's saying don't make a havoc in the church over secondary issues. Okay. And we tend to. We murmur. We murmur. Do we not murmur? <laughs> we murmur every week because it's cold in the auditorium. <laughs> cold in here sometimes, you know, but we'd murmur more if it was hot. I would anyway. It's just really interesting, isn't it? Don't be a murmur. Don't be... A... God help me that I'd never be a murmurer. Pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Your word's so difficult in our lives. You, you just hammer us. Uh, Lord, you hammered us this morning, and I, I pray that what I said was with grace. Uh, Father, it's your word. It's what you said to us, that we're to be people who live in your presence. And Lord, we live in this fallen world, and we interact with people who are unbelievers. We interact... Uh, with Gentiles, we interact, Lord, uh, with your, your, your people in the church. And, and Lord, let us be real, let us be uh, true to you and uh, loving to each other and to your glory. Please help us. We can't do it without your Holy Spirit empowering us and your word guiding us. So I, I pray this morning, Lord, you'd help me and all these dear folks. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I uh, hope your wounds are not bleeding. <laughs>